This podcast is created in partnership with The Network. The Hope for Us Network is a lived experience coalition disrupting the highest risk factors for mental health crises. What you're about to hear is the audio version of this podcast. If you want to see the video component, check out our YouTube channel. If you want to tune in live and ask the guests questions in real time, check out our Twitch channel. We're on every other Thursday, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. CST. Both links are in the description below. If you like what I'm doing here and you want to support it, consider buying me a coffee by clicking on the support button. And now, mental health and creativity collide. Hi, I'm your host, Kate. Welcome to Mental Health and Creativity Collide, where we explore everyday creatives. Whether you're a CEO, a chef, a death doula, or a professional actor, mental health and creativity are gifts we all have as humans. This podcast explores how our guests find balance between mental health and creativity. It is a celebration of their stories and an invitation for us to share our own. Here we go. Hi, Tegan. Hi, Kate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Um, thank you for being on my podcast this evening. Thank you for having me on your podcast this evening. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. Um, so uh, we always open up with just like a really quick optional breathing exercise. So you can either like chill or do it with me or not. It's totally up to you. Anybody watching um, now or later, you're welcome to join in too. It mostly just helps me center. Um, so uh, if you'd like to join, uh, just taking a nice tall seat or you can stand if you prefer, lay down. And then inhaling through both nostrils, just nice and slow. And then blocking the very bottom of your right nostril and breathing out through the left nostril, just nice and slow. You can be slower or faster than me. And when you're ready to breathe in through both nostrils again, you're just going to alternate blocking the bottom of the left nostril, breathing out through the right. Continuing at a pace that feels really good to you. It's always just breathing in through both. And then exhaling through alternate nostrils as you go. Seeing if you can let the mind focus just on this breathing for a moment. We're just going to do this for a couple rounds. And I'm just going to be quiet for about the next 15 seconds or so. Slowly, going to start to work towards the end. And if possible, you want to finish on the right side. So breathing out through the right nostril. And you can take your time getting there. If you're really in the zone and you want to keep going, you can always pause this, come back later if you like. Slowly letting that go as you're ready. Thanks for doing that with me, Tegan. 
Thanks for uh, guiding me in it. Yeah. Um, so uh, I would just like to start by introducing pronouns. I'm Kate. I'm she, her. This is uh, I'm Tegan. I'm also she, her. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Tegan and I have known each other since we were wee babes in the theater in Ohio. A um, very, very long time. It is coming up on... Oh God, it's coming up on 20 years. We're not there quite yet, but we're very close. Yeah, it's amazing. I uh, we we still have to figure out how to how to celebrate. I think we're gonna take. No, a wait, no. Is it gonna be 20 years next year? Yeah, yeah, we're coming up 20 years next year. I think. Oh my right? God, 2022 is 20 years. That's absolutely buck wild. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It feels like I met you yesterday and a million years ago. I don't that's I know. know it's like is anymore. <laughs> the thing I always think is funny about uh, our friendship cuz you and our our dear friend Emily are my like oldest friends that I'm still close to and it's so weird for me to sometimes think about relationships like that that are so long spanning because it's like in a way it's impossible for me to separate like the person that I am from knowing you guys, like, it's it's yeah, such a weird, because, you know, I, I have absolutely no concept of, like, what person I would have become if we had not met at such a completely formative time. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's all, it is, like, in some ways, it's like, oh, yeah, we just met. And on the other hand, I'm like, I was genuinely a different person when we met. And the reason I am the person I am now is partially because we met. So it's like, in that way, it feels eternal. <laughs> Yes. No, I, I feel the same way. I don't know. I don't know who I would be like thinking about those like formative people, especially creatively and mentally. Like you're you're such a rock in my life. And then also, I think, uh, an inspiration creatively. And that's been something that we've grown in together as we've gotten older as well. Um, but I, I do want to just introduce you to people who don't know how awesome you are. Um, so Tegan is um, a full-time working, working human. She, uh, <laughs> she is a ceramicist. She, um, is a, a poet. She, um, is a home renovator and a recent home owner. <laughs> Who knew but, about that one? That one was yeah. a surprise to everybody, but here we are. Yeah. Am I, am I forgetting anything, Tegan? Is there anything else you'd like people to know immediately about you? No, not necessarily. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it, I put in my little, little bio thing, um, two things about my little bio thing, which is that firstly, you said, send me a little, send me a bio, it can be whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'll do something like a little funny. And uh, I I said, I think I said that I was like a writer performer. I usually say writer performer because that encompasses like the number of things that I do. Cause I do, I mean, I do a lot of different types of writing, a lot of different types of performing. And so I feel like that encompasses it. And I was like, yeah, I do those things. I'm a, I'm a ceramicist, I make pottery. And uh, then I was like, and I don't know, I, I do a lot of art, so I'm an art omnivore, and I'm also an anxious bisexual cliche, which <laughs> is just a funny thing that I thought about myself. And then it was very, very funny for me to see the the um, like little promo ad for this episode earlier today, because like it had that underneath my picture, and it made it sound like a job title. <laughs> and I was like, if I could make being an anxious bisexual cliche into a job, I would be a millionaire. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I thought that was very funny. But yes, I am. I am all of those things. I am. Uh, I work in software in the in my day to day life. Um, I am a, a writer. I'm a, a poet and a fiction writer. This is my cat Hal. You will see more of him. I'm certain. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I, I perform. I, I used to be like a what I call a capital A actor, and I'm not really that so much anymore. I do still perform. I act occasionally, but it is no longer my primary outlet. Um, yeah, I sew, I make clothes. Um, 
I, yeah, I, I do a lot of things. I'm, I'm doing more and more things as I get older, which is sort of wild because I would have imagined that I would be doing less as I get older, but it's simply not the case. Well, and I do, I do want to talk about your, your roots, your origin point eventually, like in the my, podcast. My villain origin story? Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> um, but I do, you, you'd said something and, and we'll, I'll share this in a video later that you all will get to see of Tegan's amazing kitchen that she renovated, but this, um, uh, th that you don't really have goals anymore. And yet I feel like you're creating on like a high level. And I just love that. I think it's so inspiring. Um, but I don't, would you be open to speaking to that? Like right off the start, like, what is it like to not have goals and to be creative and yeah. to take care of yourself? Yeah. Cause you also feel really mentally healthy right now. Like, tell me if you, if you feel Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I do. And it's, it's very weird. And this is another thing that we'll, we will certainly get into at some point, but um, it's been very interesting because like I, so I went on antidepressants right, right, like two weeks before the beginning of the pandemic. You cut it so close. It's amazing. <laughs> and so, like, it's very interesting for me to go back because like I, I actively started medicating my brain to make it work better. And also everything about the world changed basically at the same time. And so it's very hard for me to like look back at the last two years and be like, what of this is because I'm finally treating my depression and what of it is because everything is different. Um, so, but yes, to your point, I do, I, I feel weirdly, weirdly given everything that's going on in the world, uh, reasonably mentally healthy at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think like, I don't necessarily, I feel like I can find a better way to say it than just that I don't have goals, but I think the the way I was thinking about it earlier and no, that's not to say that like, you phrased it badly. I'm just saying like, as I think about what it actually is, I'm trying to find a more accurate way to describe it, which is that like, I think it is that how either be in the picture or don't. Um, <laughs> but I think it is that the older I get, I get less ambitious. Mm, yeah. And I think the way that I frame that in my mind is that when I was very young, I, and we'll talk about this too, I'm sure, but like, I'm a product of the like suffering young artist industrial complex. You both are, yeah. So I was very attached to the idea of like, I must be driving towards the big thing at all times. Like if I am not working my ass off towards like the thing, then I'm wasting my time and wasting my, my space and my energy. And like, the older I get, the less attached I am to that idea. And it's been a, it's been a slow process over the last, you know, five or six years, I think, but it's, I am much more invested these days in just being like, what feels good right now? And that is something that I never thought I would be focused on. I always thought I was like working towards something bigger than myself, like working towards something that was, that was beyond me in some way. And I, yeah, I've just been much more focused on like, I'll try this. How about I just try this and see what happens? Or how about I, you know, just let let this thing happen or let this thing sort of turn into whatever it's gonna turn into and, and not necessarily focusing on, oh, I found a new hobby, I have to turn it into a side hustle or, <laughs> oh, I found a new hobby, I need to be the best person who's ever done it. And that is something that has been very freeing for me in a lot of ways um, is just, yeah, thinking less in terms of end result and much more in terms of process and what kind of process feels good. Um, and just allowing that to be 
enough, like allowing it to be enough to just say like, I really enjoy this. This feels really good. Or this is a momentary thing that I can do to make my life better or someone else's life better. And it doesn't have like, I don't have to be the best whoever was. I can just do a thing right now. And that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I have, I have two thoughts about that. I'd love to know your opinion. One is, uh, I got, I think it's in, um, big magic, the book by Elizabeth Gilbert on creativity, yeah, yeah. but she talks about, she's like, there's really nothing that's like the best or original out there anymore. Um, but she's like something that I do find very captivating is just being, um, vulnerable, like just being yourself and just being in the moment. And I think it's really hard to do that when your end goal is like to be the best there ever was or to be uh, so I, I do feel like sometimes it creates more captivating and like beneficial time like with the people in your life however you're sharing it with them um totally. yeah do you feel the same way or is that like a yeah no I totally do and I think it it yeah I mean and, and this is something I'm sure we'll get into as well but like I it has been a really interesting shift for me and I think it's kind of a like symbiotic relationship of I've it has made me mentally healthier to start thinking this way. And also I'm thinking this way because I am mentally healthier. Yes, totally. <laughs> because like for me, I mean, I specifically like the type of anxiety that I experience in my life and have for basically forever since I was like a little kid is the like hyperproductive type. And so it's not that I like panic and shut down. It is that I panic and I run myself harder. Yeah. And so that that in particular has been a thing where it's like letting go of that has, I mean, of course it's not completely gone, but like letting, letting go of that like vice grip on that feeling has allowed me to pursue more things within my life that are just for pleasure or just for, you know, less for like, if I am not productive, no one's going to care about me and I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, <laughs> feelings that average people have. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, and it's a combo of like, also letting go, like trying to do less or trying to be less for constant forward momentum has also allowed me to lessen that anxiety in turn. So it's been an interesting sort of combo platter of those two things. Yeah. Um, two things. One, I just want to say hi to all the people in the chat. I'm reading your comments and they're lovely. Uh, Pegelman said, nice timing. I think that's with regards to getting on depressants right before the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> um, love to talk about that more, but thanks to everybody. If you have questions for Tegan um, or things that you want to bring into the conversation, feel free to put them in the chat or we're, we're checking it out. Um, yeah, I just uh, I just opened up the chat. I had you full screen, yeah. and now I can see all these lovely lovely chat comments. Hi, everybody. Yeah, hi, people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I know. I would, but I was wondering if you'd be open to talking about just like I know that there are a couple moments when that um, anxiety meets creativity. Um, sorry, I smiled because I was looking at the chat. I'm just gonna close that for a moment. Um, <laughs> I'll be right back to it. But the uh, the anxiety, um, like pinnacles like what made you change behavior like what were those moments like for you um how long did it take you to realize because for me it took a long time to realize I was even in negative cycles oh yeah I mean I yeah. definitely I I was in a very it's interesting right because like you oftentimes find your way out of future negative cycles by like hitting a crisis point that is untenable <laughs> Yeah. In some way, and like that shifts something. And like that has happened to me a few times where it's like either a situation that I am in uh, where I go like, okay, this could not possibly have gone worse. <laughs> or like this pot could not possibly, this circumstance could not possibly have been more detrimental to me in some way. And so like now I recognize because it is like the most extreme possible example of the thing, then you recognize like, oh, 
I've been doing smaller, like less impactful versions of this forever. And maybe now I've realized that I can't anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was the big thing for me was like those intermittent kind of crisis points. Um, and I did a thing that I am certain many other people have done and continue to do, which is that for so many years, I was like, well, I'm not in crisis right now, so I don't need to see a therapist. <laughs> yeah, and so I did that for a long time. And then I finally started seeing a therapist in my early 20s. I was maybe like 23, 24. And that was really when I started to like unpack all of this stuff. I mean, that's usually when you start to unpack it, but it, it was definitely, it was an interesting thing to sort of look back at all of the, all of the kind of like, I hesitate to find a better word than clenchedness, all of the clenchedness yeah. that I've spent my whole life just like <clears throat> holding on to, talking to somebody else who was like completely outside of my lived experience, who was able to go, hey, just so you know, not everybody feels that way. Like that is yeah. not just like an average feeling that everybody has. That is a, that is a feeling that is specific to you and specific to like the type of feeling that has been running your life. And so that was really useful. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I would say from a, from a creative standpoint, I know we were talking about this the other day about like, I was working, I was, I was a, I was a theater kid. I was, I've, I'm a lifelong theater kid. I will, it will never be, be truly cut out of me, but I was much more intense about it in my early twenties. And yeah, it's how we, it's how we met. It's how we grew up together. We're both in that world. Um, but I was in a, a process where I was just like running myself way too hard. I was doing like five, six shows a year. I started producing theater. Um, I was like doing a really, really intense uh, like producer role that I was not adequately prepared for at all. It was something that like somebody I really respected was like, you should do this. And I was like, okay, I guess I should do this. And like, didn't really prepare myself in any kind of substantive way to to handle it like emotionally or or psychologically here's the oh. other cat so it's he's a potato oh. <laughs> um, but so i was doing that and i was just sort of like in this this constant cycle of i will just like of almost sort of taking myself out of the equation of going like my physical needs, my psychological needs, like that doesn't matter. It is all in service of a product and the product is the only thing that matters. Yeah. And even when like your body and your brain like are the product in some way, it still feels like you are somehow removed from it. Um, and so I always talk about the one day that I was producing this show that you were in, yeah. uh, you were wonderful in it. Uh, this, this story is in no you way a knock on you, it is a knock on me. No, uh, it was, you were wonderful too, which is, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but just to note yeah. that like you can produce great content and do a great job and still be in like a horrible place mentally. You did a great job, yeah. but anyway, please continue with the you. story. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I was uh, running myself the hardest I'd ever run myself ever. This was in 2015, 16, 16, 2016. Yeah. 2016. Yes. Um, I don't know what time it is anymore. Um, so it was in 2016 and I, there was this one day where like, I was so sick. I was like the sickest I had been in years. And earlier that year I had had shingles, which is a wild thing to have when you're 25. And I was just like getting sick all the time and I didn't really understand why. And then I got really sick and I had, I had like a fever of 101 
and I was homesick from work. And I was also, I had this situation where like, I don't know if any of y'all have ever had a canker sores, the little guys that you get inside your mouth, not cold yeah. sores, but like they're, they just like appear sometimes inside of your mouth and they hurt very bad. Um, I got one of those and I went, oh man, that sucks. And then I got two more of them. And then I was like, oh, that extra sucks. And then over the course of like three or four days, uh, I got like 30 more until like the whole inside of my mouth was just like in constant pain all the time. And I couldn't really like eat or swallow or talk. And I went to the dentist because I was like, who do you go? Who do you go for? For an, who's an inside of cheek doctor? I don't know. That's nothing. And so I went to the dentist and I was like, what is wrong with my face? What is happening to me? And she was like, well, canker sores do generally develop from stress, but also I've never seen this many at a time. And in my mind, I was like, you don't say. <laughs> and, but I was like, we were in a situation where something had gone wrong with some of some production piece of the, of the play that we were working on. And neither one of my other producing partners could do anything about it. And it was like, it was literally like somebody has to go to the store and pick up some lumber and drive it to a studio where it's going to get worked on. And I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> and so in my pajamas in the middle of the afternoon on a, on like a Wednesday with a fever of 101, I was like at a home Depot buying lumber. And I just had this weird epiphany. I think at that moment where I went, Oh, I can't, like do this anymore. Nope. Like nope. this thing that I'm doing, I don't know that I can do this more. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of a, an epiphany moment for me where I was just like, I have broken myself in some way that like is completely voluntary and I don't have to. Yeah. Oh, I, I think it's so admirable you had that epiphany because I think so many people still don't you know like they just they're like oh this is this is life um I have to live this way to get what I want um yeah, I think that's like that is both art and capitalism right yeah. like it's both yeah. of those things are are just like ignore your needs and just drive as hard as you can towards the thing because like you don't have time to to stop and you don't there's think of all the people that will fall down if you stop and and it was very tough to to sort of remove myself from that cycle because it is it is both in the in like in capitalism it's very much about you can't stop because you need to make money and in art it's very much like the the yeah the the struggles of the pain exactly um, yeah and and it's it is the thing of like the show must go on you are in service of the show the show is what matters and you are just a, a chunk of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the connection to capitalism too. And I feel like it ties back to your, like, I know we didn't, um, it's, it's a broader concept, but the, uh, it resonates with me, <laughs> like not having goals of the, of it being tied to your value of like, if you're not struggling, if you're not struggling through the pain, like, are you working hard enough to be valuable, to be enough? Um, it's like, and as opposed to like, oh, like we're, we're stardust and amazing. And, and like, and like, why is that not enough as just to be a person in the world? Um, yeah, that is the wildest thing. Like I, that's one of the things that I've been thinking about the most deeply over the last couple of years is just like that exact quandary of like, why is it not enough to just be a person? Like, why must you be, why must you be something so much like greater or, or mo yeah, more important than a person? Like why? 
why is just like being a person who is like reasonably happy and is working to leave things better than you found them? Like, why is that not enough? Yeah. I, I still struggle with that. Like, daily. Oh, me too. Every day. Daily. Yeah. It is, it is, I think that is like an impossible part of the human condition, at least the human living in 2021 condition. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Um, talked with my therapist about it today. <laughs> um, I am curious. Uh, let's see. We've been commoditized. We're intrinsically valuable just by existing. But yeah, totally. Yeah. Thanks for sneaky snuggles. Is Yes, it is enough. Yes. I, thank, thank you. Thank it you. Is. It, it is. It is. That's the thing I try to tell myself all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, did that, that pinnacle moment for you, did that coincide? I don't remember with you deciding to go to therapy. Is that one of the reasons that you initially decided and whether it was or not, I'm curious, like what that process was like for you. I think it can be so vulnerable to go to a therapist for the first time. What was that like? Totally. It was, so I had started, I'd been seeing a therapist for maybe like a year prior to this, but it was still, you know, sometimes when you go to see a therapist, especially when you're like a grown ass adult, or at least you think you're one, it can take a little time to like really get to the thing because oh, you yeah. spend a lot of time, especially when you're, when you've spent your whole life with like anxiety lying to you. And then you have to spend a lot of time like lying to yourself. And then subsequently like that part of you spends a lot of time lying to your therapist. <laughs> even when you don't mean to, like even when it's not on purpose, you still have this oh. thing of like, no, 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 no. I'm still very attached to the idea that this is fine and that I'm, there's nothing wrong with me. Yes. Um, and so it took me a while to get past that, I think. And it, it my, my therapist, she's no longer, I, she moved me to another therapist when she um, moved to a different role in her practice. But um, so we, we parted ways very, very amicably, but she's no longer my therapist. But she, back when I was seeing my first therapist, she, um, she had this very, very funny and also very helpful way of just like, whenever I would describe something to her, usually like in a panic because I was very emotional about it, she would sometimes then just say, okay, I'm just going to repeat back what I'm hearing. And I just want you to like hear it from me. That's so good. And it was, it was, it was one of those things where it was clearly a gotcha, like a good gotcha, but she also framed it as like, I just want to make sure that I'm hearing this correctly so that I can interpret it correctly. But sometimes just having a person who doesn't know you in real life, repeat back the thing you just said makes you go, Oh yeah. The thing I just said is batshit. Like it is completely so wild that this is a thing, you know, for example, when I was like in a very tumultuous like argument with a friend or something and she would be like, so just to clarify, you're, you believe that this person being this mad at you is valid and this is the thing that they're mad about. And then I sometimes would go, yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> because you get so used to the voice in your own head that sometimes it is really hard to just like actually see the things that are happening to you objectively. And like, that's what therapy yeah. is good for. That's why therapy is helpful and great is because it it's literally, even if it is literally just someone repeating back to you the thing you just said, so you can hear it objectively, that is still so helpful and was so helpful for me. I love that. Yeah, because otherwise it's just, it's your reality and it's always been your reality. So how do you know that anybody else's reality is any different? Like, unless you explore that with somebody who isn't in your mind, it's just, it's so. Exactly. It's like, yeah. it, you know, I think it's, it's this, this weird thing where I think human beings are inherently self-centered in a way that like is not, that's not a, a detriment. It's just a thing that we need to understand about ourselves. If we're ever going to be empathetic or like do anything of value really is just that like, there is no way for you to know what it is like to be anyone but you, you can't, there's no, it's impossible. Like, 
And I, I, I know that I've talked to you about this, but one of my very, very favorite philosophical concepts, which is like, it is both wonderful and also it very quickly devolves into the like, oh God, the sort of galaxy brain, is anything real? Are we all <laughs> living in a simulation? Like that kind of thing. But yeah. uh, it's a concept called qualia. And basically it is like in extremely simplistic terms, no philosophers at me, please. Uh, but it's, it's in extremely simplistic terms. It's the, the idea that like everything you perceive, no matter how objective you think it is, is always colored by your perception and your life experience. And like, there is no objective truth because everything that we consider to be truth as a species has been interpreted by someone. Yeah. So like the, the just the fact that there is no objective experience, nothing is, nothing can be completely removed. Nothing that happens to you or that you perceive can be completely removed from the fact of the person that you are. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is something that maybe you don't need to think about it as much as I think about it, but you do need to think about it somewhat if you're going to like be a person in the world to just realize like it takes work to, to really actively empathize because like our instinct is just like, well, no, but this is, this is what I think. And this is what I know to be true. And like, that's not, we just need to acknowledge that that's not objective and, and proceed from there. Oh, I love that. Well, and I love that you, you rooted at the beginning to just to empathy and to kindness. Like how do we understand how somebody else is who they are and how we can have more social, emotional learning based conversations with one another and potentially totally. like create growth and change. I think that's beautiful. I, I, I love that. Not that the goal has changed because doesn't that like say what my perspective is that I want it to change? <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. It's just it's yeah. just a thing that I think I think we need to like you need to be cognizant of if you want to be like a person who is interacting with the world around you in an empathetic way. Like you just need to be cognizant. I mean, it's sort of like like having conversations about about anti racism with other white people. It's just like if you are coming from a place, if you are not coming from a place of like. I recognize that there are things about my perception of the world that are not on purpose. Right. Like if you're yeah. not coming from that, from like, I'm a product of my environment. I'm a product of my education. I'm a product of the, the time and the place in which I grew up. If you're not accepting those things and willing to like, look deeply at them to see what they have done to you, you cannot proceed in any sort of like active removal from that. You can't, you can't, walk away from it until you know what it is, right? Absolutely, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I, this is the simplistic terms, but I'm like, I just think if we all focused on mental health more, we would like the growth of the country. Um, but I mean, that, like, is, that is simplistic, but I, uh, yeah, I, I love that. Um, the, so you continue to go to therapy. Like, how do you feel, how do you feel about it now? Um, and I, I, we'll, we'll start there and then I have a follow-up question. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel great about it now. I mean, I, so full transparency, I have not seen my therapist in a bit. Um, we were seeing each other pretty regularly. And I, I don't want to say that I graduated from therapy because that's not a thing. But we did reach a point where at one of our meetings, she was like, so it feels like it feels like you're like working through it yourself pretty well. right now. Like, is that true? And I was like, yeah, actually, like, because we realized that when I was talking to her, it was more so like, this is a thought that I had. And this is where I got to with it. And she was like, it feels like you're like, you know, you're getting out of the maze on your own in a much more significant way than you used to be able to. Um, so how do you feel about moving to like an as needed basis? And and that has been perfectly fine and good for for me and for us. Um, cool. But no, I still I still tell everybody, I mean, 
these days I feel so gratified and happy about the fact that like, at least within many of the circles in which I run socially, like it is not as much of a taboo anymore to talk about going to therapy. And like, I love it when my friends tell me they're going to therapy. It makes me so happy because I think everyone should go to therapy. Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel really positive about it. And I, cause I, yeah, I was in, I was in therapy very, very consistently, like, you know, at least every two weeks or something for like almost five years. And I found it so, so helpful because real, I mean, yeah, it's just, I, my instinct, one of the instincts of my, like the, all the things that are, that make up my brain is to just say like, I can do like, I can, I can take care of this myself. It's okay. I can just white knuckle through it. And if I don't look at it, it's, it sort of reminds me, this is something of a tangent, a weird story, but it, it it's the way that I hand that I used to handle my problems was very similar to the way that I treated a mouse that I once found in my apartment. Uh, which is to say, so this was my first apartment where I lived alone and I had been living in it for like two weeks. And one day I was sitting, it was like midnight and I was watching TV and I saw something move out of the corner of my eye. And I looked down and I saw this mouse on the threshold of my kitchen and it just froze and I froze and we made eye contact. <laughs> and I said, out loud in my house where only I was, I said, I'm going to look away. And if you're gone, by the time I look back, we can pretend this never happened. <laughs> and the mouse just sort of looked at me and I looked at the mouse and then I looked away. And then a couple of seconds later, I looked back and the mouse was gone and I never saw that mouse again. <laughs> so all this is to say uh, therapy was an important thing for me to do in order to learn how to stop looking at my problems and saying like, I'm just going to pretend you're not here very aggressively and move on with my life. Could we do that, please? I love um, that. <laughs> so that's how I feel. That's a very, very strange way to tell you how I feel about therapy, but that's how I feel about therapy. No, I love, I love a good visual, visual representation of a, of an internal problem. I think that's beautiful. Um, you that mouse all the time. Yeah. He's probably still chilling there. Good for him. I hope so. Yeah. Oh, baby. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know what you're, he's fine. Maybe not. Let's not worry about it. Let's not think about it too hard. <laughs> Let's not think about it. I, um, <laughs> no, but I do love that you brought that up though, because, um, therapy too, for me, I've been like, there's, there's been times when it's very consistent, um, and times when it just like, it wasn't, it wasn't, and that was what was needed. And uh, right now I'm in a time when I'm back in it again and, uh, and everybody's different. And I think that's something we don't talk about a lot. Like some people it's like, it's a short endeavor. Some people it's once a week forever. Some people it's, it's five years or, or five months or, um, and that's, that's okay. Um, I, I love that you brought that up. I, I do want to talk a little bit about baby Tegan. Um, what? Um, I'm curious about baby Tegan from the perspective of mental health and also from creativity. Um, we'll start with creativity if that's okay. Do you, do you yeah. have like a first memory of being creative or of making something or, or does anything come to mind when I ask that? Oh gosh, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I think I've been, I've always been two things, which is, I think I've always been driven to make things. And I think I've always been very opinionated. <laughs> I love that about and, you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always joke that like people, there's that, that saying that like you ultimately you become the person you're going to be by the time you're five. And I don't know if that's completely true, but I think that there are some aspects of that that are very true. Yeah. Specifically the, the story that people always tell about me and by people, I mean my parents and also me, 
tell about me is that when I was like four years old, we were at my aunt's wedding and I had, you might not be able to picture it now, but at the time as a wee tiny child, I had this like long curly blonde hair. Like I had like beautiful little blonde ringlets as a child and everybody was just like, oh, the hair, your hair's so pretty, your hair's so pretty, your hair's so pretty. And I, we, were at this, we were at this big family event. I was four years old and I walked up to my mother and I said, if one more person touches my hair, we're leaving. <laughs> I think that's so fair. Who and she was like, okay. And then she asked everybody to stop touching my hair. And like, it's, so I feel like that aspect of me as a young child is very much the way that I am now. I um, <laughs> I think deep in my heart, I am still the, the, if one more person touches my hair, we're leaving child. But, um, also, yeah, I mean, I, I always, I mean, I, when I was a little kid, I just, before I could write letters, I would pretend that I was writing letters. Like I would, I would write, I would just take sheets of paper, just scribble on them, just scribble on them. So it looked like there was writing on there. And that was my first sort of like instinct of, I want to be making something, even if I don't know what it is. Uh, even if I don't like understand it, I still want to be doing something. Mm. And I, I dictated uh, books, like stories that I, that I wrote in my mind to my mom oh. uh, when I was maybe like four or five, six years old. I didn't know uh, that, Tegan. That's so cool. Yeah, I still have a few of them, actually. Um, but I was, I was very much like writing stories at that age. Um, I wrote... I hesitate to call it a novel, but quote unquote, a novel when I was 10. Uh, and, oh, it's not, don't worry, it's not good. It's about <laughs> magic dolphins, but- It sounds great. But, it, you know, that was the thing that I was really, I was like, I want to write, I want to be a writer. And I loved books, I was obsessed with books. I walked, I listened to books on tape all day, every day. I walked around my house with a, with a boombox tape player 24 hours a day, I slept with it in my bed with me and I would listen to books on tape every minute that I was awake. Um, so I've always loved reading. I've always loved, loved writing and, and that, I mean, also I would, I would paint, I would draw, I would do whatever. Not that I was ever particularly good at those things, but, uh, that was my first writing, I think. And, and at least pretending to write was my first sort of creative endeavor as a little kid. Yeah. I, um, I remember you writing stories about us when we were young too. Mm -hmm. And I love, yeah, I love that. Um, but the, yeah. uh, um, also, I am, I meant to mention, this is a Tegan original that I am oh, holding Oh, thank right you. Now. I wondered if it was. I was like, it that is. looks so familiar, but yeah, I need that. Yes. I, I love it. It's one of my absolute favorite uh, things, and I love drinking out of it. Well, I'm Thanks. here. I'm here, camera. Okay. <laughs> it's starting to go away. <laughs> um, but no, you're an amazing ceramicist. Um, so Great. so going from writing stories as a young person, um, I, well, actually, before we get into ceram being your ceramicist, I know you've talked about dealing with social anxiety. Like, do you look back as a child, like to your childhood experiences or, you know, before you would necessarily call it social anxiety? And like, what do you think about like time pre-understanding? Yeah, I think I, I don't know. It's interesting because I, I think I had a lot of, I've had a lot of anxiety my whole life. And it, it is, I think, interpreted or like I've interpreted it in different ways and it's affected me in different ways at different ages. But I feel like the social aspect of it, um, a thing I think about a lot is that when I was in college and this is like still a little bit older than, than young teen, but I'll, I'll bring it back. But when I was like 17, 18 years old, I would, when I was at school, I would be like, I have very vivid memories of being in large social groups of people that I like didn't really know that well. 
and everybody sort of being talking and, and whatever. And I was like so intently listening and paying attention to the conversation. And then somebody at some point, usually it took a while, but at some point someone would like look at me or ask me for what I thought. And I just had these absolute moments of panic where I went, oh God, you can see me. Mm. And I think it was, it was just that like, I was so, when I was younger and, and, you know, I'm, I'm I say when I was younger, I'm, thir- I'm about to turn 31. So I'm not that old, but like I, when I was that age and younger, I was very, very, very deeply attached to the idea that everybody had to like me. I was like, if, yeah. if people don't like me, if people don't think that I'm like smart and pretty and cool, what am I doing? And so I was so deeply like, freaked out about that at all times that I think I was not able to comfortably really be myself in a way that felt genuine, uh, in, you know, when I was, when I, this is going back to when I was a little kid, I was like, I was so attached to being like, I'm, I want you to think I'm very cool and interesting. And if you don't think I'm very cool and interesting, then maybe we shouldn't be friends anymore because like, I need, I need someone to think that I'm very cool and interesting. And I think now, obviously, I can look at that and go like, oh, that's a that's a social anxiety thing of of just being like, I am so afraid of how this interaction could go that I cannot relax and like enjoy it yeah. <laughs> because I'm so I'm so focused. And, you know, again, you talked about this earlier about how you can be like you can be producing great art or doing great things or like seeming very unbothered on the outside while you are like drowning on the inside. And I think that's that for me is like is a big thing because I'm. I am a deeply introverted person who has spent most of my life in like extroverted professions. And so I think I've sort of trained myself to, to be able to have that like extrovert switch that I can turn on. But especially as I get older, that's like way, way harder for me to do. And it takes a lot more out of me to, to be very social, especially with people I don't know that well. And so I think for me, like looking back on all of those all of the plays that I was in when we were younger and all of the, you know, friend groups that I had when I was a teenager and all of the like boys I was trying to impress and whatever. I was so, I was just like working so hard and making myself so tired because I was working so hard to be like engaging and be interesting and have people like me and have people think that I was cool. And like that I am letting go of that a great deal uh, as I get older, because I just don't have the time. Just don't have the time. Just don't have the time. But like that, that I think is the biggest thing for me, social anxiety wise, when I was growing up was just like this intense consciousness of, do these people like me? Are these people going to, you know, talk shit about me when I leave the room? Are they, you know, that, and I think everybody has a certain, to a certain degree, like thinks that other people are thinking about them a lot more than other people are actually thinking about them. Uh, But I think, and you can let me know, like, if you feel like this at all, but the, the, I think the thing about social anxiety is like that it's that, but cranked to 11. Yeah. It's like, you don't just think that people are, are thinking about you. It's that you think people are hating you and you think yeah. people like, think you're stupid and, and weird and ugly and they don't ever want to see you again, but like they tolerate you because they have to. Yes. That's I, yep. I felt the same way. <laughs> it's very unpleasant. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I, uh, I love that way of describing it too. I think that's accurate. And also just, um, I, I think I would, the the inability to control it at at first oh, anyway yeah. um the like the difference between like being a person with anxiety and being a person with an anxiety disorder right <laughs> so, like I, I i feel like 
you know, somebody with anxiety can, can calm themselves with techniques. Um, but, uh, well, did you ever do the thing or do you still do the thing? I still do this, but, uh, yeah. where you will like, if you know that there's a certain conversation you have to have with somebody, you will rehearse it over yes. and over and over again. Um, yeah. Do you do the thing where you, um, pl I play back old conversations to be like, oh. did I fuck that up? <laughs> Every, day. Every day when I lay down to go to sleep, I just think like, oh God, I said that stupid thing to that person that I don't talk to anymore 15 years ago. I wonder if they still think I'm stupid. Yes. Every day. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, and then it's like trying to push it out. Um, but then, I mean, I have more techniques that are helpful now, but. Um, oh yeah, but it's just like constantly. Oh. Constantly I'm just thinking about like, oh no, what have I done? Even if the thing that's like, oh no, what have I done was forever ago. It was to yeah. a person that I don't even remember their name. Like, of course they don't remember this, but I'm just sitting there going like, I did such a bad job. I ruined everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, do you, what coping mechanisms do you use now? Like what, or are you just like better at seeing it and being like, oh, I can like, what, what sorts of things help you now? Cause I feel like you are just so much more comfortable with it. Thanks. Yeah. I think I like, it's interesting because I, and I promise I'm not going to start every answer with it's interesting, but oh, I, it is I, interesting. I, think I am in some ways just like more practiced at it. Uh, I think I am more practiced because of the time that I spent in therapy and the time that I've spent like using the tools that I learned in therapy. I have gotten much better at being able to look at something like look at a feeling that I'm having or a thought that I'm having and recognize and say like, that is an irrational thought, or this is an irrational feeling. That doesn't mean that it's an invalid feeling. It doesn't mean that I'm like not supposed to be feeling it or that I should feel bad for feeling it. Cause that's another vicious cycle where you're like, oh, yeah. sometimes you go like, I'm having a bad feeling. And then you go, Oh no, I'm having a bad feeling. I must be terrible because I'm, ha I'm, not, I'm not good enough to cope with my bad feeling. <laughs> it's not that, but it's like being, being better at being able to look at a feeling and say, okay, this thing, I recognize that it is happening. I recognize that I'm feeling it. I also recognize that like, I can maybe let it go. I maybe don't need to like hold on to it so tightly. Mm. And so that has been helpful for me. Um, I think also, honestly, and this, I, it's tough to, to sort of parse this again, thinking about like the, the time that I've spent on antidepressants versus the time that the pandemic has been a thing. But, and I, I recognize that I'm in like a wildly privileged position to have been able to, like, I work from home. So I was able to work remotely and basically just stay in my house for all of 2020. And I also live alone. So, and I, I mean, I have two cats, but they don't pay rent. So um, <laughs> I, I spent a very, very, very large amount of time with myself over the past 18 months or, or two years. And I think I had always prior to that, I'd always thought I was good at being alone or that I enjoyed being alone. And I think what I realized over the pandemic is that I, in my previous incarnations or my previous lives, like, I think I, I wanted to be alone or I thought I enjoyed being alone because it felt easier because I was like, I'm too tired to deal with people or like, I don't want to spend the energy that it's going to take me to interact with other people. And so I was thinking about being alone from a, from a very like anti standpoint of like, I like it better than this. Yes. As opposed to like the, this is a, this is better than the alternative. Yeah. Whereas over the pandemic, because I had to spend so much time alone and not just alone, but like finding ways to occupy myself. Yeah. It was really weird because I got to a point where I went, oh, now I want to be alone because I enjoy my own company. Yeah. And that was something that I had never really consciously felt before. And it was, it's a, it's an 
it's a wild thing to realize because as soon as you realize it, then you realize that this is the first time you've realized it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm almost like I'm 29 years old. I, and I, this is the first time I've ever genuinely enjoyed my own company. That's wild, but it was, I mean, I think, I think that is the big thing for me is, is now being able to having had that realization. And of course I don't always enjoy my own company. Sometimes I'm a pain in the ass just the way other people are a pain in the ass. But I think having had that realization, it has made it a lot easier for me to recognize like, okay, right now I am, I do need to be around people or I do need social interaction or I am choosing to abstain from that. And it is for an active reason as opposed to a a passive or a negative reason. Hmm. Yeah. I'm hearing like, just like agency, like, you know, you know yourself so so deeply now does that feel accurate to you or does that totally I think I yeah I mean I I definitely I know myself a lot better now than I did a few years ago and I mean I hope that that's the case for the rest of my life like I hope that every year I can say I know myself a little better than I did last year um yeah Yeah. my big giant water bottle I would cheers I do love that giant water bottle it's hard I I wish there was a way to show just how yeah it's amazing it's a big (laughs) water bottle it's uh for anybody who like me um wants to drink a lot of water, but, um, doesn't necessarily have the fortitude to like, remember how many times you've refilled the water bottle. Uh, this is a 64 ounce water bottle that I just fill up in the morning. And then if it's empty by the time I go to bed, uh, then I feel like I did okay. So this water bottle is from a uh, simple modern. You can Thank buy them. You. I don't know that you can buy them this big at target, but you can buy other ones from them at target. So simple modern. All right. Um, so the, uh, ooh, we have some people say yes, yes. Oh yeah. Uh, um, very cool water bottle. And they also Thank follow you. that philosophy. Yes. Um, so, uh, and yeah, just, if you've just hopped in, just so you know, if you have questions for Tegan or you want to hop in the chat, it's always welcome. Um, so I, I do want to talk a little bit. You have a, um, what I, I don't know what else to go, but you have, you have a, a full-time job, uh, right now. Do you, how did how does creativity how do creativity and, me- and mental health manifest both in your full time job and then also like how does that affect your time outside like how do you find balance because I think you're one of the people when I think of somebody who's balanced mental health and creativity and also stability um, you come to the top of my mind it's like how do you how do you find that with what from the outside anyway feels like a really busy schedule still or just like a lot of things maybe not even busy but just a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, firstly, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to say. Uh, but yeah, I, so I have a full-time job. I work at a software company and um, I, it's interesting because I, so I've always had, damn it. I said, it's interesting again. I, next time I'm going <laughs> to, next time I'm not going to do it, but you are very I, interesting. It's <laughs> I, so I've had full-time jobs essentially forever. Um, I, even back when I was still more of a like capital A actor, I still had a full-time day job the entire time I was doing that. And at that time, so I worked in a much more like buttoned up environment for many years. I worked in, you know, offices like law. I was a temp for a long time. I was working at like law offices and, and finance offices. My last job prior to this one was I worked for finance in six years, which is I worked yeah in finance for six years. Is that what I said? Uh, it's a yeah, it's a, it was a very interesting environment, but and very like not at all attuned to the person that I am. Um, but for a long, long time, that was kind of the easiest way for me to do it was to like 
have, okay, I'm going to job. And then as soon as job is over, I can be the person that I actually am. And I do not have to present myself at job. Job does not need me. Job needs like a person to sit at a desk and answer a phone, but job does not need Tegan. Yeah. And so it was really strange. Like when I finally realized, and that, I mean, that worked kind of, I guess, for a long time because I was able to go to work and work and get a paycheck and then go to rehearsal and then come home and go to sleep. And that was what I did for like a decade. And it was, it was very tough in a lot of ways. I mean, one, because I didn't really have any time to do anything that wasn't one of those things. And also just because, yeah, at a certain point, I think that that compartmentalization of self can get really exhausting because it takes energy to do that. It takes energy to like be two separate people over the course of a day. Yes. And so when I finally decided that I needed to leave my last job, um, I, I had a friend who recommended me for this, this particular job and, and it ended up being like, I really like my day job. And I also, it is, it is at a place where like, it is easier to be, we talk about like bringing yourself to actually bringing yourself to work, which is an interesting brand new thing for me. And so it's, it is a place where, I mean, like my actual job job requires, doesn't require as much like creativity in the sense that, you know, in the sense of like all this, but, uh, it does require some more like, you know, you need to be charming and you can like act like yourself and you can, uh, you know, think about problems in unique ways. And, and that, that I think has been really helpful for me also, because it is just, it has reduced the amount of effort that I spend sort of splitting myself into two, into, you know, like two sides of the same coin. And so that has been really helpful. I, I will say for me, and I know a lot of people feel differently about this, but one of the things that was so hammered into me during art school and just like an arts-based upbringing was this idea that, you know, someday your goal, your ultimate goal is to only do your art. Your ultimate goal is to be an artist and that is all you will be. It can be so damaging. It's, it can be yeah. so damaging because like one, not everybody, um, I will get to that question. I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. It's one, it is, it is, you know, it's just, it's tough. It's overall, it's, it's, it's sort of, uh, tough. I forgot. I'll be totally honest with you, Kate. I forgot the beginning of that sentence that I was trying to finish just then. That's what was okay. I just talking about? <laughs> you were talking about like work, but I think we both got distracted from. I got distracted. Question. I looked at the comment. I was like, Oh, it's that's a great, great question. question. I was thinking about how I would answer that question. And now I forgot yeah. what I was actually talking about when I looked at it. I'm sorry. No, you well, you were talking about the um most how in art school they the the goal yes. the dream is to is yes. to pay like it's to pay your bills with your art um Thank and like you. yes. you're not valid until you do that such silly such silly yes. bullshit. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, I think it's it is silly because it is both very hard to do yeah. uh and also it is like not everybody functions best that way and that's the thing yes. that it took me a really long time to realize was that like I personally. I make better art when I am not spending my whole life stressed out about like whether I'm going to be able to pay my bills. Yes. And preach. <laughs> and yeah, I mean like I, the fact that I can have a day job where I go and where I enjoy it, at least like most of the time, I mean, I don't think anybody enjoys a day job hundred percent of the time, but where I'm like, I feel reasonably happy to do this job and I feel reasonably like respected and like I can be a person there. And having that and being able to know that like I have a steady paycheck. I know that I can afford to live where I'm living the way that I'm living. I can afford all my expenses like, and not have to stress out about that all the time. That allows me the mental space 
to then say like, okay, I can make art and I don't have that pressure of, I need to make art that is good enough that someone will buy it. Otherwise I won't be able to eat. Yeah. And some people thrive on that. That is not at all to say that that's not a way that people do and can live, but because some people that's their, that's their energy. That's like where they, you know, they, they derive a lot of, a lot of excitement and, and focus from that fear or from that, like that constant motion, but it is absolutely. not the case for me. Yeah. Well, and it's just the, the, uh, cause I absolutely, but then it's just the, like, but also there's this other way and I've seen both with you and with my partner, my like current partner, um, that the, uh, um, the, not the, what's, oh man, I'm trying, I'm struggling to find words that don't sound capitalistic, but like, <laughs> like, like the hard. output of your creativity levels is so yeah. much higher. And also it, from the outside, anyway, your happiness levels, as you make that output of creativity is, seems so much, so much of a better quality. Does that, does, is that true or? Totally. I think that the, yeah. like, I definitely feel like right now my output is quantity wise less than it has been in the past. I think quality wise better. Mm. And I think that the, the quality, like the circumstances under which I make art are better. Yeah. And they make me less miserable. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I do want to talk a little bit about the amazing art that you do make. Um, but I do, I, I love this question in the chat. It's um, um, how, like how, ooh. no, 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 you did not oh. interfere at all. I'm sorry. I, no. I interfered with myself. I'm, I was just thinking about your great question and then I, it, yeah. the rest of my thought ran away from me. That happens sometimes. No, it's, it's, it was love. It was a lovely experience from, from <laughs> my end. Like it was, it's so nice to have such a lovely question. So please, no, no need to say sorry. Um, but it's um, how have you pivot um, from self-care and work? Yeah. So I think this is, this is interesting. And because I, it's, it's, it is a balance. Like it's, it's a hard balance to strike. And I think that especially I'm going to stop saying capitalism at some point, but capitalism doesn't really care about the self as much. Uh, and it is much more focused on the work. And I, I feel lucky in the sense that like my job in particular is, um, kind of seasonal in the sense that like, there's a good chunk of the year where I'm like a lot less busy. And then it's a, you know, it's a really concentrated period of time. Uh, where I am much busier and much more focused on work. But the rest of the time, like I have a lot of flexibility in my job, which is really a, a great boon for me. Um, and so I'm able to kind of take that time and I'm supported if I need to take that time and that space to just be like, I can't do job right now, um, which happens sometimes. But overall, I think that it's a, it's a, it's a constantly ongoing process, like being able to flip back and forth between like, I want to, I want to do my job well. And I also need to take care of myself. And I think the thing that has mentally made it the most functional for me to kind of take care of myself while I'm working is just to realize that like, it's not life or death, you know, like I'm not a doctor. No one's going to die if this goes badly. Like, yeah, I might, like worst case scenario, someone might yell at me, but really at the end of the day, like, you know, cause I'm in a, I'm in an outward facing role and a, a, like a client facing role. And so sometimes it's like, these people don't know me. They don't, even if they're mad at me, they don't know me. They don't know the person that I actually am. This is not a reflection, even if they're upset or if, you know, something has gone wrong, like that's not a reflection of my value as a human being. This is just a piece of my life. And I'm not, 
And I think this goes a little bit along with like having less ambition, right? Is that I, I am not in a job that I feel deeply attached to as like, this is my career and this is the thing I want to do for the rest of my life. And that has actually been so freeing for me because I've been able to allow myself a lot more self-care by just saying like, if I have to like move on and do something else, that's okay. And also if, if it turns out, I mean, I like, I take pride in like being good at things. I like to be good at my job. I want to be good at my job, but knowing that if it turns out that I'm not, or if like one day I'm not, that's okay. And that's, that's not, that's not saying that I'm not good at anything. And it's not saying that I'm not even good at this in particular. It's just that like, it's a job. And sometimes you do a good, a good job and you try your best. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. And, and, uh, you know, sometimes, yeah, I think just like having that, that sense of separation of like, this is, even though I can bring more of myself to work now than I, I could in the past, like still going, okay, this is only a part of me. This is not my whole self. This is not my whole value. And that, that I think has made it a lot easier for me to focus on self-care and work simultaneously by, by mentally separating them a little bit. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah. Let us know if there's any other element, if there is another element to that question that you want us to talk about, because good stuff. Thank you very much for that. Um, yeah. And then the, um, uh, I, I did want to ask you, Tegan, cause I feel like at this job and you sort of touched on this, you are very respected. Um, like your voice is heard. Like if you need to take time or like you're having a hard day, like people listen to you, um, mm -hmm. and like change takes times, but, oh, oh, we have, oh, this is good. Good question. I feel yeah, like it's going to look at it too closely because I know what happens. Exciting questions. Oh, um, um, but the, uh, uh, the, <laughs> I, I do feel like, and, and it's, it's, it takes time to make these changes. But um, for me, when I'm in a job where people aren't listening to me or they have the, they have the mentality, like my superiors have the mentality of like, push till you drop, we're the priority. We can text you at any time. We can email you at any time. Like that really, I just don't do that anymore. Throw that in the garbage. <laughs> yeah. And like, I've not been able to leave immediately, right? Like sometimes it's taken months, but um but no, like, no more. so I do feel like the work environment makes a huge difference. Like, I, yeah. I would love to know your, your thoughts on that too. How do you feel about that? No, totally. I mean, I think it's, it's, I, I used to work in a reasonably low stress position in an extremely high stress industry. And so even in that case, like that was a weird, it was a weird work environment. There was a lot of like, you know, office hierarchy and like, some it was a, one of those one of those companies that was like small enough that we didn't really have rules and big enough that we definitely should have had rules <laughs> yeah. so it was you know things like people getting chastised for like breaking a dress code that we didn't know existed or like oh. you know knowing that it the the situation you were in was going to be decided by somebody's whims that day and like how they felt about you and that's really nerve wracking. Like I always said that at that job, I was like, I feel like any day I could just be fired and no one would ever tell me why. Yes. Okay. And so that, that feeling for six years was tough. I will say it did not lead me to be my best self all the time. Uh, because it, it's like, and, and obviously there are bigger and more important things, but like, it feels like a, like at, at the very least, if not a full sword, at least like a dagger of Damocles hanging over you where you're just like, at any moment, something very bad could happen to me and I would not be prepared. Um, yeah. and so that it's, it's stressful. And it, I think that it makes it both harder to be good at your job and also harder to be good outside of your job because you're just like, 
you're stressed about that all the time. You're, you're panicked about it. Um, whereas like being in a job now where I feel like, sure. Yeah. When we work is Illinois is an at will employment state. Like anybody could fire me at any time, but at least here, I feel like if they were thinking about it, they would tell me why. Yeah. <laughs> they would be like, this yeah. is the issue that we're seeing. And literally just that is great. Here, here. Um, so Sneaky Snuggle says, um, how has having a balance between art and work changed the type of art you create? Also, thank you. Thank you, uh, Hope First Network, for posting the questions under the video. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, this is a great question. I think that, as I said a few minutes ago, I think it has largely impacted, like, I'm not as prolific as I once was. I'm not as, and of course I say that and I'm like, I'm making stuff all the time. I might look prolific, but to myself, I'm like, I used to make much, many more things than this. Uh, but I'm less filled with that feeling of like, I need to be making something right now. I have to be making something at all times or otherwise I'm not an artist. And so I'm much more focused on like one, allowing myself, I think just allowing myself to like not be good at things is very, very hard for me. And is also a thing that you have to do if you want to try new types of art. Um, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to cat. Um, but like you have to start somewhere and, and I have been having a balance in my work life and in my brain. Don't push your face on that. Um, has been so helpful for me to just be able to not spend as much time going like, well, either I don't have very much time in which to do this. Like I'm at, you know, I'm at work from eight to five 30 every day. And I, I, there's not much time that I have to focus and like I have to run from this place to that place. And I, I don't have the the time and space to really sit and think about this and like mull it over. I just have to do it right now. And so I think that just being like working my whole life at a slightly slower pace uh, has, has had a big impact on that. And, and yeah, just having the, the freedom and also the drive to try new types of art and say like, I don't know if this is going to be the thing that I do that is like my new thing. I think it could just be a hobby yeah. and that's okay. Uh, so yeah, having more space, like being able to, to balance my work and life better has allowed me to balance my work and my life and my art better because I have more, more time and more mental space to think about it. I am. Um, there is one particular story I'm thinking of in a, in a way that you, that that sort of developed into an, an impact that I'd love to touch on, but there's another great question from, I think it's AWS Creativity um, is, was there a moment when you witnessed art impacts, your, witnessed your art impact someone? Um, I, uh, I'm curious, uh, I'm thinking about the beer mugs you just made and how like you started making pottery uh, just for the fun of it. And like speaking of things that you, I, I felt like you were always very good at it, but, um, but, but the growing in it, um, I, but um, but I, I, that comes to mind. But I'd also just love to know your your favorite moment when you witnessed your art impact someone. Yeah, I feel like the most like art impacting someone that I, experiences that I've had have been in my um, time as a performance poet. Uh, and I think a big reason for that is because you have that immediate like you are you are performing in front of an audience but also it is an audience that is like encouraged to react to you more openly than they would if you were you know doing a play and so i think that has been a very that's like a very visible kind of feedback loop it's like if you are performing a poem and somebody is reacting to it you can you can see and feel that right in the moment you're doing it and so that has been 
I, I mean, I, I always wrote poetry and I never really thought that it was very, you know, I didn't think it was very good or I didn't think it was like, I thought it was very like, oh, this is just for me. Or this is like just about my thoughts. And oh, it's awesome. the most, yeah. thank you. But the, the most interesting thing I found about poetry is that like the more specific it is, the more universal it is because the pieces that I've done, the poems that I've done and performed and like really come back to that I feel like are the most sort of deep in the weeds of like Tegan thoughts. Uh, those are the ones that people come up to me and are like, I, this made me feel something or like this really, like it resonated with me. It felt so true to me. I mean, like I have this, this sort of long form poem that I, I did for a long time um, that was about, it was specifically about the night that I drove home to my childhood house when my dad was getting um, surgery for his cancer that he had just been diagnosed with. Um, he's, he's okay. But now by the way, he's, he lived. Um, but this was, this was like seven or eight years ago, maybe like close to nine. God, who knows? I remember this poem. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it was like a very specific thing. It was like, I am this age. I have a sibling who is this age. My home is in this particular state and in this particular condition. My father is in this particular state in this particular condition. It was like extremely specific. And people came up to me after that and were just like, I feel exactly this way, or I have felt exactly this way. And I didn't know how to say it. And that for me is a, is a big, that's a really big thing. It's a, it's a really big thing to feel like, thank you. I'm also glad my dad is better. Um, but that's a, that's a thing that I think is very impactful about poetry in particular, because I use poetry as a way to kind of like solidify the intangible or like put, put word to feelings or to experiences. Um, and cause I, I tend to find that like, I, I think in metaphor most of the time. And so it's like, it is the easiest way for me to interpret my feelings in a way that makes sense to me. And so being able to have someone essentially say like, you spoke this for me, like I was not able to speak this. And so you spoke it for me, even though we don't know each other, that is really, that's huge. And that's the thing that I, that's the thing I miss about performing live, um, I will say, but yeah, that I think is the most sort of actively uh, impactful. And I mean, just to the, to the ceramics point that you made, like I make, I make ceramics and, and that's, that's a completely different type of thing, but it is fun because I make things that people can use every day. And so that, you know, literally just giving someone a, a cup or a bowl or, or a candle holder or something that they can practical objects. That's very, um, that feels impactful in a, in a very different, but no less valid way. Yeah, well, I, I know you were talking about the beer mugs you just made for somebody who like has their friends over all the time and they're always like sharing memories around those beer mugs that you made. Yeah. And I just think that's so cool. Um, you also sew amazing things. I, I have a couple amazing things that you have sewed for me. <laughs> like, I um, but another I, pandemic I, hobby. It's a, it's amazing. I, uh, I and I remember your mom sewing too when we were growing up, and I always thought that that was really cool. Do, do you think of her when you sew, or sort of? Oh, totally. Her? I mean, I, yeah. I don't know how many of you have this experience. Um, of everybody always says, "Well, you're going to turn into your mom or dad someday," and you're like, "No, I won't." And now that I'm in my 30s, I'm like, "Oh, I am turning into my mother." <laughs> um, well, it's interesting because like. I, in so many ways, I'm turning into my mom and in so many other ways, I'm turning into my dad. Uh, <laughs> but mostly just because I think my mom is a lot more uh, mentally stable than I am, but that's fine. Um, but I, yeah, I think about my mom all the time. I mean, I think so many of the things that I do and the ways that I, that I am creative are because of her um, and are sort of in, in, in tribute or homage to her, I guess. Um, 
so yeah, sewing, I mean, she was always, she always would sew things when we were kids and, and baking and cooking. She would always bake and cook and, and make these amazing things for us. And um, even books, writing, reading, all of that. She was, uh, you know, worked at bookstores and libraries my whole life. So that was a big, a big part of our, a big part of our life growing up. So yeah, I, I always think about my mom when I'm sewing. Yeah. Well, your parents are both awesome and you are awesome. So that Thanks. feels like a good reflection. But the, uh, yeah, I feel like so many of us, we are either creative in spite of or because of our parents. And I feel like it's very rarely like a neutral ground. In the middle. Oh yeah, it is, either, it is either that you you are creative because you completely rebelled against them or because they like allowed you to flourish. And right. yeah, it's, I feel like the in-between space is when everybody's like, eh, I guess I'll just be a realtor or like a right. lawyer. <laughs> yeah. No shade for realtors and lawyers, but like oh. there's a... I think it is it is sort of that that instinct of just like, well, whatever it is, whether you know, you can also be a a, a mediocre writer or a mediocre artist of any kind, but like just that thought of eh, it's fine. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um and also um AWS Creativity said thank you for sharing. Thank you for the question. Yeah, thank you for the question. Um I do want to share, we took a brief video together. Uh, of yeah. Tegan's, so so Tegan is a recent homeowner and she did major renovations all by herself and absolutely crushed it and put so much of her creativity and time you. Yeah, into the whole house. It's just a really beautiful space to be in. It feels really gorgeous. Um, but yeah, if uh, uh, Network, if you don't mind to pull up the video and share uh, the video with folks. And then- oh, um, Tegan Okay, so this is, this right here, all of this is my kitchen. Um, so I very recently bought a home, um, this home, I have lived in it since August. So a little less than two months. Um, I have been thinking about buying a home for a long time as many people I'm sure have. Uh, and then I thought that sounds very hard and very expensive. Um, and it, I won't lie to you. It was, <laughs> I don't have any money anymore. And all the money that I will ever have again is owed to somebody. So there's that to consider, but, um, no, so I, I ended up buying um, this home. This is actually a two-flat home. Uh, you can't obviously see that just from the kitchen. But um, I ended up buying this home with uh, one of my very best friends uh, and her husband. And they live upstairs, and I live down here. Uh, and so we have this, like, adorable little sitcom house. Um, but when we bought it, it, it needed a little bit of work. Uh, not, like, full tear down to the studs kind of work, but it, it, you know, hadn't been remodeled since probably the seventies or maybe even before. Um, so we both, both households decided to kind of get in here and, um, you know, do the, do the thing. And, um, so the kitchen and the bathroom in both apartments was the one where those were the places that really needed the most love. So in here, I decided, um, when I realized, I was like, okay, I, I need to take out the cabinets. I need to take out all the appliances. I need to take out the floor. I need to paint everything. I was like, okay, so ever, pretty much everything needs to go. So I'm going to have this blank slate. Um, and it's really interesting because I, I've lived alone for a very long time. I've lived, um, by myself with nobody else in my house for close to a decade now. Um, and it's great. Love it. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Um, but it's interesting because one of the things that I have found to be true about living alone is that like, even though a big part of it, a big part of like the positive aspect of it is like, I can do things exactly the way I want. And like, I can have everything just for me and like not to please anybody else. But there's also this weird sense of 
well, but like the only person who's going to see it is me. So like, I don't need, you know, it doesn't make sense to put in all this effort or it doesn't make, you know, there was some, there was that weird voice about it. Um, and so that's something that I've kind of, uh, been thinking more about and like trying to work through over the past few years. I'm just like, okay, well, why, why do I feel instinctively like it's not worth the time or the effort if it's just something for me? Um, and especially, you know, I think renting goes along with that. Like you don't feel like your space is really yours in the same way. So when I realized that I had to kind of totally redo this kitchen, I decided like, okay, if I get to redo this kitchen from the ground up and I own it and no one can tell me no, and nobody, I don't have to please anybody else. Nobody else is going to have to use it or like live in it with me. Um, I decided to go just kind of hog wild. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm doing, you know, we're doing these like big kitschy colors. We're doing this peacock green and these, you know, this pink trim and these like loud brass pieces of hardware. And I'm doing these like bright wood countertops and, um, you know, I'm when I went to, to sort of accessorize, I was like, we're doing cartoon eggs on the, on the curtains. We're doing plants. We're doing, you know, when I went to, to grout the backsplash, I was like, turns out they make glitter that you should put in grout. I, I didn't know that. Did you know that? So I decided that I would, you know, have, have purple grout with glitter in it. Um, and you know, that I would have this like super loud wallpaper and these bright colors. And it's, it's been really, really satisfying, um, both to kind of have the initiative and the image of like, this is the feeling that I want this kitchen to have. And this is the, you know, this is the way that I want to, this is the emotion that I want it to bring out in me when I'm cooking, when I'm using it, when I'm baking, when I'm in here. Um, and also to go like, I really like, I can just reach for whatever and, nobody like just getting over the feeling of like nobody's gonna stop me has been a really interesting one because i don't know you always feel like somebody's gonna stop you right you always feel like somebody's gonna be like no well let's not go that far but i don't know i own the bitch so like i don't know what to say um so yeah it's been a very it has been a very uh arduous process creatively and physically i will say blessings to all the contractors out there uh i do not have it in me i did this um, I did the majority of this work by myself. Um, I, I, as my dad always says, you always hire a plumber. You always hire an electrician. So I did not do the plumbing or the electrical. Um, but I did basically everything else. Um, and it was very exhausting. And of course I did everything in like the dumbest order possible where it was like, this would have been significantly easier if you had done this before you put the cabinets in, or if you had put the cabinets in before you put in the, you know, the water line and all of this. So it was a fun learning experience in that way too. Um, but it's been really interesting because I, I have spent a lot of my life making art that is intangible, uh, and that is for other people. And that is like, you do it and it's done. And it's like an outward expression. Whereas over the past year or two, I think, you know, in not to get too much into the COVID of it all, but, uh, in, in plague times, I've had a lot more of an attraction to, um, art or creative expression. That's really tangible. That's very much like I can hold this in my hands and I can look at it. And I think part of that is because it, it just felt like something I hadn't really delved as deeply into before. And I was very bored in 2020. So I decided to like learn some of those things. But, uh, also I feel like it's like one of the side effects of being someone who was 
privileged enough to just like stay in my house for most of uh, 2020 was like that there were times when I wasn't sure that I really existed. <laughs> like there was a, a period or there were, uh, you know, passing periods of sort of like depersonalization in not in a bad way, but just in a way where I was like, I might be a head in a jar and like no one is around to tell me for sure that that's not true. So, you know, could be, could not be, you know, Schrodinger's head in a jar. Uh, but so I think because of that, it, it has been very um, comforting for me to make a lot of tangible things, tangible objects. I did a lot of sewing. I do a lot of ceramics. I do a lot of, you know, I did something like this where I was like, this is a tangible physical place where I will go every day and make my coffee, make my food, um, you know, bake things to give to my friends. And so that, that has been a very different experience, making things that are very, very tactile and very much existing in the world. Yay. <laughs> it's so funny. I, the, I realized that I was making the exact same face right now as I was in the last frame of that. And so it cut away and I was like, Oh, I'm still doing that face. Okay, cool. It was impressive. Um, the network, do you mind to share the before and after photos real quick for us? Just so yes. we can see. Here's a question. Oh. How do I do that? Oh, no, no. Network's got you. Oh, great. Network's going to do it. Yeah. So this network's is what my amazing. kitchen looked like before. Yes. And that's what it looks like now. Also, if you look at the floor there, like she pulled up all the tiles by herself and like, and then put that new beautiful stuff in. It's so Yeah, amazing. I ripped up a lot of linoleum. Um, it was not the most fun thing I've ever done, but <laughs> it was very satisfying when it was all done. I, I bought a tile saw. I cut a lot of tiles. Yeah. Well, this next set of photos is something you don't get to see in the video that we made, but there's like that back corner. Like if you go through the closet, that's what it used to look like. Yeah. This was the pantry, what it used to look like. And then now this is what it looks like. <laughs> um, yeah. I was able to use the space a little bit better, put some more, some more countertop in there. Um, yeah. It's great. It's, it's turned into a, it was a very long, uh, stressful, expensive project. Uh, and but at the same time, like, I'm really, I'm really proud of it. And I'm really glad that I, that I did it. And now I feel like it feels very much like the most sort of my own uh, room in the house. And yeah. that's, that's very exciting for me. Thanks for sharing with us. Network, thank you so much for being so awesome with the photos. We appreciate yes, it. Yes, thank you. Um, the, um, I, I love what you said too about something being tactile that you, that you make. Um, the, I feel like there's, if for a while as a culture, I feel like we really undervalued that aspect of creativity. And now I feel like we're sort of coming back to it with like the um, the interest in like homesteading and, and farming and, and people doing more crafts. And I just, I feel like I'm seeing more of a trend in that in culture. Are you seeing that too? Are you feeling this, this coming back to that sort of appreciation for tactile creativity? Totally. And I think, I mean, it, it's a very big thing for me. And this is very much less along the, the practical lines of like homesteading and farming. But I, I personally, I'm a, I'm a maximalist. I do not, I'm not a minimalist whatsoever. I like stuff. I'm sure <laughs> yeah, you that's all that by the colors and things behind me. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's been very interesting to, to get more into like, it's okay to like have stuff. It's okay to be attached to your stuff and feel like stuff is, sort of like stuff has value, you know, not just stuff for stuff's sake, but that like physical objects and physical, you know, physical actions, those, those can really have a lot of, of value. It doesn't just have to be all ephemeral. You can really, you can put a lot into a, an object or a, a, you know, something that you can hold in your hands. 
The um, yeah, I feel like as uh, going not to, we keep going back to capitalism, but I do feel like we're we're a culture of extremists. Like either minimalism is the best thing for you, or it's the worst thing. And like there's yeah. just this like no, I think it's just like what works for your life. Um, because I do think. Yeah. I think sometimes too, like lower waste happens when you have more stuff around you. Like you have things to utilize. Um, as and I'm speaking from that as somebody who's gone more minimalist because it helps me. I get so distracted when I have stuff around me. I'm like, I feel like I have to do all the things. And for me, minimalizing has helped a lot. But also, I've noticed sometimes that that means you have to buy things more. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you're like, oh, I don't have that thing that I gave away. And like also just from a consumerist perspective. It can be nice to have stuff and it can be nice just to have like a box of stuff. I just created a box of things to do on a rainy day with like coloring books and like, and crayon, like, yeah. like your amazing art cabinet. Like you are set for a rainy day. Oh um, yeah. I've yeah. Got, like, you never need any craft supplies. Yeah. Girl. And you bring so much joy to people's lives using them. Like I just, I love hey. that, that note. Um, the, so, okay. So ceramicist, uh, yes. a sewer, um, uh, a poet, which I, which I still hope one day, even if it's just for your friends, you make a, a book of your poems because I would love to own that. Um, yeah, someday I'm sure I will. I've been meaning yeah. to do a chapbook for many years, and then you know, other stuff I mean, happens. There's no rut, like you know, I we got knock on wood, got time. Um, but the uh, but so all of those things, like, do you? How do you decide what you're gonna be working on? Like, are you like, do you go through phases where you're like, I'm mostly doing this, or is it just after work you're thinking like, oh, this sounds good. And you have the option to do um, any of those things like within a given night. Like how does your creativity flow in your in your day to day? Yeah, I feel like I do go through phases to some extent. Um, they're oftentimes don't ne not necessarily like super long phases, but I will go through. I mean, I certainly went through this during the, the during 2020. I was about to say during the pandemic as though that were some I know I do historical that time that isn't still happening. But uh, during 2020, where I was like, I am the thing that I'm doing every day after work is I'm sewing. I'm getting done with work and I'm finishing a sewing project and I'm starting a new sewing project and I'm sewing for like five or six hours a day. That was a thing that I have done before and certainly will do again. Um, and sometimes it's like, I'm at the pottery studio four or five uh, times a week, you know, just like throwing things and trimming things and glazing things and throwing things. And, and sometimes that's, I, I do sort of get in the zone. Um, I would say oftentimes these phases are not longer than like a month or two. Um, but they, they definitely do happen. And I think it is, it's the more that I'm able to kind of let myself be driven by what feels good right now or what feels good, like in this era of me, um, I'm able to kind of just go for that and, and not necessarily think about, yeah, well, like how, but how is this going to get me towards my end goal? It's just like, no, right now I want to learn how to draw. I don't really know how to draw. So I would like to learn how to draw. I'm going to do that for three weeks, you know? Yeah. Oh, I think that's so inspiring. I, I love that. Um, and uh, AWS Creativity, I would love to lay out a book of poetry. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, very cool. Uh, if, if that means you want to lay out a poetry or you want Tegan to, I hope both of you do. Please share it with us in like Twitch's Discord or in the Twitch channel because I would love to read both of those. I think that's very cool. Um, but the, uh, um, I, I did want to ask you into one of my favorite questions is, do you have any creative slash mental health, um, uh, role models? And if so, like, what does that look like to you? To you? Ooh, that's a really good, that's a really good question. Thank um, you. <laughs> man, I don't know. I, I mean, 
and this is not flattery, but I think you are on that list for me for sure. Um, because I, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to make you cry, but I, I have <laughs> just because like, I feel like you have been one of the things that I think is so important about trying to balance those two things and trying to like be creative and also take care of your brain at the same time is to like speak openly about how you do those things. And obviously like that's what we're doing right now, but to, to speak openly about it and to like make that, you know, make that a part of, of you and not try to be like, I'm keeping this quiet for the brand, you know, but making it, making it really known that like, this is a thing, this is how I deal with the, the experience of being a human person on the planet, which is bad and hard sometimes. Um, and I think that that you have done that so magnificently over the past God knows how long. Um, and it has been such a joy to like watch you do it and to be a part of it in the places where I can. And um, yeah, it's, it's just been, it's been so, I feel like you are really, you're really great at that. And you're my role model. Okay. I'm just going to throw that out there. I uh, get very emotional. I didn't know that would happen. Um, no, but thank Thank you. I am. Um, you are a role model to me, and and one of those people that um, yeah. I'm just I'm honored to have you here, and I uh, I don't even I don't even know how to appropriately put you on a on a on a um on a on a beautiful pedestal because I think you deserve that. Um, but the um, you're a goddess. Um, the uh, but I there there is a, a question to the chat. Like I would love to lay out. I would love to lay out your poetry. Could you? please share a poem or something you sewed. Is there anything, or is there like a YouTube version of you from like the green mill or anything or, or anything that you would feel comfortable reading or sharing Tegan? That's a great question. Gosh, that is a great question. I don't know that there's any video, like any YouTube of, of my, my much more uh, poetry ish days. Um, It's okay. Yeah. I haven't looked at my poetry in a long time, but I'm trying to think of, of course I don't have anything that I sewed right near me. Um, I'm trying to think of ideas. I can go retrieve something if you would Please. like. To yeah, I'll, 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 I'm going to be right back how to... with, a, with a dress that I made because it's got a funny story behind it. Yes. Here's a cat. Hi, Olds. Um, and then I don't know, um, the whole, the network has been killing it as always. Thank you, network. But they put um, how to follow Tegan on Instagram. She has two different Instagram handles. Straub Handmade is her, like you can see some of her um, amazing ceramics that she makes there. And then Tegan without Sarah is her, uh, her personal handle. And, and, uh, she'd mentioned it was okay to, to follow her there. So if you want to go, uh, and connect with Tegan after this, those are, those are places you can do it. And then, um, if you're digging the the podcast, we're going to have a couple more episodes pop up on our anchor site, just the audio version. And you can also rewatch it on Twitch for a few weeks. And then the network is also making a YouTube channel, which is really exciting. So if you want to share this with folks or watch future episodes, please do. Check those out. Do you have your dress? I do have my dress. Hello. So this dress. This is this, so. This is a sundress that I made. It's kind of hard to see the shape with uh, it not on a human body. But um, so I made this sundress about. Oh, it's so cute. I don't know, maybe six or eight months ago. Um, so. Is it Gonzo? Yes. So what happened was. My older brother, who I like to joke, he's known me since the day I was born and it shows, um, which is, so we as children, um, we spent a lot of time watching the Muppets. Specifically, we spent a lot of time watching Muppet Treasure Island, which I think is one of the best, the best Muppet films. 
Uh, and so we, we quote that movie all the time. We've seen it a hundred thousand times. And uh, so he mailed me apropos of nothing, no note, no warning, no nothing. He mailed me a Muppet Treasure Island bed sheet <laughs> from like 1994, whenever that movie came out. Um, it was a vintage bed sheet for children with scenes and characters from Muppet Treasure Island on it. Uh, there's Fozzie as uh, the the rich half-wit son of the shipmaker. Um, we've got Kermit as Captain Smollett up here. Very oh, important. Yes. Uh, so he mailed this to me and he was like, I know you've been sewing a lot. I thought you would be able to do something with this. And so I was like, I have to make a fancy dress out of it. So I made this uh, made this fun little swishy dress out of a out of a Muppet Treasure Island bed sheet. Oh, Tegan, I love it so much. Thank you for sharing that. Thank, Thank you. For you. The I'm question. sorry, I can't get a better uh, view of it, but no. yeah, that was definitely a a fun a fun project for sure. Thank um, you so much. <laughs> that and to get to <laughs> it's just it's just fun to be able to wear Muppets on you. I think. That's yes. Fun. Also, people are saying that's incredible, beautiful. I completely agree. I, I would buy that dress. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow, that's so cool. Um, the So we're we're like in the last like 20 minutes frame. I, I'm wondering, Tegan, if there's anything in your mind that you're like, or, or in the audience in, in your mind, anything that you haven't gotten to talk about that you're like, you know, this really like speaks mental health and creativity to me or just anything you'd like to leave folks with and all in the chat same question if there's anything that you're burning to ask Tegan or coming up on the end so feel free to put it in the chat yeah feel free to ask me whatever um and one thing I was gonna I was thinking about that we were you and I were talking about the other night is um talking about antidepressants yeah and taking them not taking them the fears of taking them yes. um and, and what that what that is like um it's scary yeah, I was yeah. gonna say, do you have a a, a starting thought for that? Because I, I have thoughts, but I I, I want yeah. Yeah, I'm I I was very scared about it for a long time because um I'd heard home, so many horror stories. And I also do think that even though I broke the stigma about therapy and even just like sharing my own personal story, I hadn't broken the stigma in my own mind about medication. Um and that took Ooh, me. Yeah, longer. it's a very it's a different yeah. it's a different hurdle. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I'm, I still um, like in social circles, I'm like pretty cozy about talking about my depression, my anxiety, my therapy stuff. Like I'm pretty cozy with that if it feels appropriate for the room. But the uh, but medication is still really hard for me to talk about sometimes because um, I feel I feel judgment at least or at least I perceive judgment. And it's that then the thought comes into my head of like they hate me again. Like those those types of reactions pop into my brain more often with that conversation. Absolutely. Um, that's my starting off point. What about you? <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's, um, I totally, I feel the same way. I, it was the thing where I, I had gotten over the point of like, yes, being like, I have an anxiety disorder and I've, you know, I'm going to therapy and I'm taking care of my mental health and I, you know, this is not something we should be ashamed to talk about. And then one day my therapist was like, here's something I think you should think about. And I was like, no. <laughs> We're not quite like that, but I was like, it seemed extremely scary to me. And it's, you know, for me, I think the, I, often, I mean, I think a lot of people know this, that like depression and anxiety very frequently go hand in hand there. It is common for them to uh, 
coexist and to appear together. But I think I had come, I had gotten very comfortable with the idea of my anxiety. And I don't think I had gotten as comfortable with the idea of depression. Um, And also for me, because like, I always thought I had this weird mindset. And I don't know if you had this experience where for most of my life, I was like, I mean, yeah, I'm just a little sad a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Everybody feels that way. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, what? yeah. And so I think because for me, like the, my, I mean, the way that my depression works, it, it is, it is not, it is like a low hum all the time. Mm-hmm. And then every once in a while, like not, not debilitatingly common, which I think is why for so long I was like, I'm not depressed enough to be depressed. Um, but it, it's, it's for me, I think the, the experience of depression is l- for me anyway, this is, and this is purely my experience, but for me, it is much more noticeable in, it is not so much about the falling down. It is about the staying down. Yeah. Like that is how I know I'm in it because like I fall down all the time and it's, it all just depends on whether or not I can get back up. Yeah. And the reason I fell down is not always necessarily because I'm depressed, but the depression is like what keeps me from getting up. If that makes sense. It totally does. I love that. And it just something that made me kind of chuckle in my own mind is like my, uh, I don't know if you can hear the helicopter outside my apartment. I can. Yeah. Wow. Um, but the, uh, my depression functions more in like deep waves. Um, and, and my reasoning for not being on medication for a long time was like, well, like, that was a while ago, even though it really wasn't. It was like, oh yeah, yeah. We always go. Eh, it was like last week. I'm, I'm a whole new person now. It's fine. It's fine. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the games like in our head. I know we're both a fan of this. May feel like a side tangent, but we're a fan of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, oh yeah, the show. And there's a great song about antidepressants that I know. Oh yeah, that I, I trust me. I played that song on repeat before I started taking them. I did too. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, it was interesting because like for me, I had a, a, a thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, oh, same. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it, for me, it was like, I, how it happened was I had been, it, this was like, yeah, the beginning of 2020 and I had just, it was winter and like winter is always a little uh, iffy for me um, emotionally for a handful of reasons. Um, but it, I was like, really pretty deep in it. And, and, you know, I'd gotten my heart broken a couple months prior, but it was like one of those things where it like that made me sad. And then I stayed sad past the point where I was like, I know that that's not what this is about anymore. Like, it's not about this thing that I started off being sad about. I just now I'm like in this pit that I cannot get out of. And I was just like, so sad all the time. And I, yeah, finally my therapist was like, listen, it's something for you to think about. Like this might be helpful for you. Consider it. It's not. And was basically like knew all of the objections I was going to have up front. She was like, there are plenty that like, don't make you feel like not yourself. They, you know, it's not about, uh, you know, changing your personality. It's not something that you should be afraid of. It's all of this. And I was like, okay, all right. Okay. All right. And again, I started like two weeks before the pandemic, which is a wild experience. And who knows, who knows what that would have been like otherwise. I have no idea, but uh, it has been massively helpful for me um, just in terms of like getting that, getting like, 
I don't want to say it's maybe more resilient because I don't know that that's true, but it's like just getting that sort of baseline up a little bit yeah, to the point where it doesn't feel like, all right, one good kick is just going to keep me down for weeks. Yes. Yeah. Like it's almost like, I think, um, tell me if this resonates with you, like a lifting, like it's like, I can, like, it's like, I can see the thing now and I can still have an emotional response to it, but I'm, I'm clear on like what it, you can see it. Yeah. It's like, it's like glasses, I think more than anything. Yes. It's like that, like, oh, that's what's happening as opposed to like, wow. And I don't even realize that Absolutely. I'm in the middle of a panic attack. Or, yeah. No, that is so true. That is exactly how I felt where it was, it was just like, okay. Yeah. It's not that it takes the thing away. Yeah. It is just that it makes it so that you can see the thing clearly and decide how you want to respond to it. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to being like, I'm in the dark and I just hit something and I'm very scared of what that is. So I'm going to freak out about it. Like it was just, yeah, it felt like being in a big dark room that was full of things that you couldn't see. And therefore like they were very terrifying because you're like, I don't know what that is. It might be something that could eat me or kill me or ruin my life. Yeah, And just the, just being able to, to see those things I think is, is worthwhile enough that it, it, yeah, it's, I, I tell everybody, Obviously talk to your doctor, but don't be afraid of antidepressants because they genuinely can, it's, it is not, it is not the like brain transplant that I think a lot of people, myself very much included, sometimes think that it is. Um, Yeah. yeah, It's just, it's, it's lifting one of the stones off. I, something else just popped into my mind and I'm curious if you were ever told this in theater school too, because we both went to school for, for theater. Um, Yes, we did. Yes. Um, I had a professor tell me like, probably don't go on antidepressants because it'll cut off your emotional connection. Like that's, that was something somebody told me uh, that was a bullshit lie. Uh, and I'm sure they didn't realize that either. But, um, but I'm wondering now, I haven't thought about that. It's so funny. I like, think I blocked it out a little bit. Sure. <laughs> uh, I'm curious if anybody told you, or even if you just subconsciously picked up on like, that was a, a worry or yeah, I mean, I think I definitely picked up on that subconsciously. I don't know that ever anybody ever told me that directly, but I definitely was, my experience in art school specifically was was more so about coming up in the mindset of like, your art will never be good if you don't suffer. And not even necessarily like suffering in the making of it, but like if you don't, if you don't like go out in the world and like get wounded and like have your heart broken and, and you know, feel all the things as deeply and terribly as you possibly can, then like, you're never going to be a real artist. And I internalized that very young and very deeply. And so I think that was, that was it for me is I was like, I I think about it in terms of like, you know, my, in my late teens and early twenties, I I thought it was very romantic to be a little drunk and a little sad all the time. And then now (laughs) I'm like, why? why? I, that was not nearly as interesting as I thought it was either to me or to literally anyone else. So when well, it's like, it's a choice, right? Like, it's like, yeah, people make art that way. Um, yeah. But also like, do you, but also people make art from a really happy place that is just as impactful, if not more so. And like, that's one of the reasons I was interested in having this podcast is just to like champion the stories of people like you who are making beautiful, impactful art but also living a happy life or like, and like also not to say like we're happy all the time. Right. Like that's no, but I think that's a big, that is a big thing is like, you don't think about it truly. Like you don't think about it as, as I can, I can make great art and be happy. Yes, You know, like you think about it as art is either this constant process of striving and, or 
it is a thing that you have to like let yourself get vivisected for. And I don't think that either of those things is true. And I also think that like it has caused I think there are a lot of things behind this, but I think it has caused like a sort of a dearth of, of really genuinely like deeply joyful art Yeah. because I think we have this sense of cynicism about art that is made out of like actual joy and not, you know, I'm not talking like live, laugh, love kind of joy. I'm talking like actual, like, you know, the, the weird, like gross stuff. That is the thing that is so interesting to me. And I feel like we just, we don't have as much of that art as we should because we've been indoctrinated into this idea that like art is not that you know, that that kind of art is too sentimental. I think that's yes. the thing too. People are like, it's sentimental or like, it's not, if it's not dark and heavy and bad, then it's like, it's cheesy or stupid or lame. But lame. Like, what a stupid word. Like not only is it ableist, but it's also just like, come on. Yeah. What does it even mean? Or they're like weirdly ageist about it. I feel like too, like, oh, that's a children's thing. Like that, like right. only like, children only, can watch joy content. Happy. I'm like, well, and the Muppets is a great example of that. Of like, I, I have been profoundly impacted by the Muppets. Like you, and totally. like, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got, I have multiple Kermits on this water bottle. Yes, and Rainbow Connection was like very impactful for me. Like, there's just like you know, it's this. Yes, yes. That's yeah. that's the kiss with Kermit and Piggy. Is that yeah. That's so good. Um, yeah, if, anybody, if anybody's looking at all these stickers on here and is like, I would like some of these stickers, almost all of them are by an artist named Skylar Radusco, uh, who is on uh, Instagram under the name Misnamed Plants. Thank you. I, I do. Um, yeah, we do have one more question. We have about 10 more minutes. It's a great question. Can you be creative during times of stress and anxiety? That's a great question. I'll let, Ooh, I'll let you answer first, Ian, or unless if you want a minute to think I can answer too. Yeah, how about you answer for for this one? And I'm I'm think about it because it is it's a great question. Yeah, for me, no. Um, I, <laughs> um, if I'm really stressed out or if I'm in a really deep depressed funk, it's almost impossible for me to be creative. And I've grown kinder to myself over the years of like, okay, this is a time when like I need to take care of myself. I need to um, for me like doing cold dips in the lake or doing yoga or allowing myself to have a day when I don't plan anything are all things that help me. Um, also checking with my therapist, making sure like everything's cool with my medication, that sort of thing. Um, but the, um, but like, it's, it's almost impossible for me to be creative, which I think is something we don't talk about a lot as, as art. We're like, Oh, the, the artist dealing with depression creates such deep things. And I'm like, well, not in it. And to be honest, it, I think it gives you content sometimes, but no more than like being a person that isn't dealing with mental illness um and uh but I, I do think there's a real conversation to like does does mental illness give you creativity like does it feed it or does it make it harder to be creative and for me it, it makes it much harder um Tegan what about you yeah I would agree with that I would say like I definitely I there have been times in my life um when I have been able to make a great deal of art while I've been very anxious uh, I think in, in some ways it's kind of a like high low thing. Like when I get to a point of of being extremely anxious, sometimes it will get to a place where it's like borderline manic, like a little bit like I feel very over caffeinated all the time, and I'm just like okay, I'm just got to do it, and I just like get to a I get to a place where that that is easier for me. I don't know that any of that art is like good, or certainly not any better than any art that I have made while I was like much more stable. But yeah, I agree. I don't think that. 
definitely depression. I think whenever anybody's like, you know, it's like interesting art, good art about depression. I'm like, here's the thing about depression is that it's not that interesting. When you're, <laughs> when it's happening to you, it's not interesting. You're not like, because I think people have this grandiose idea of like, oh, you've fallen into a pit of despair. And it's like, yeah, sometimes it's that. And sometimes it is very grandiose. But most of the time, it's just like, if I didn't get out of bed today, no one would notice. Like, yeah. it's it's boring. Depression is boring. And, and that's at least like when you're in it, it's not, there's nothing particularly like stimulating about it. Or scary. Me. Like, yeah, it's like, to me, it can get like, I've been to near suicidal points. Like I get, yeah. I get, it's like, for me, it's like depression. Everything is sad, numb, suicidal. Um, yeah. And then you're just like consumed by that. Like you can't make anything in that for yeah. me. I can't make anything in that state. Um, yeah. And also like, then it gets to the point where you like think about doing something and then you're like, Oh, what's the point? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. This nihilistic. Undertone. Yeah. You're like, would anybody even read it or look at it or care about it? Does it matter? Yeah. Does anybody anything yeah. matter? We're all just going to die. Yeah. Nothing will ever be better. That's too, too like this lying, deep lying voice inside me when I'm depressed, like nothing will ever yeah. be better. You will never make anything ever again. It feels like it will never end. You've already peaked. <laughs> yeah. You've already peaked. Um, even though I know that's not true mentally, it's just, yeah, but it's it does yeah. you know sometimes it doesn't matter like what you know to be objectively true if you're if you're in that you're like well yeah but what if this yeah. thing that I thought was objectively true was that what if that's the lie it's like those two yeah. door knockers in labyrinth where it's yeah. like one of us tells the truth and one of us always lies and you don't know which one's which. Speaking like of that. labyrinth, they asked who your favorite artist is. One of mine is definitely David Bowie. Um, <laughs> perfect segue. Freaking nailed it. Oh. Um, great question, AWS Creativity. <laughs> that is a great question. I don't know, man. Um, I I have a lot of different favorite artists um, in terms of like different, uh, I say genres of art, different disciplines, I guess. Yeah. Um, I The first person, interestingly, who, who popped in my mind as far as writers go um, is, I. there's an essayist I really love named Durga Chubos. Um, and she, uh, her book, I don't know that she's, I should, now that's making me think like, I should look and see if she has a, another book coming out. Cause this one was a few years ago, but it's a book of essays called too much and not the mood. And, uh, it's really, really good. And that's one of those pieces where like, as I was saying earlier, like sometimes the more specific something is the more personal it feels to other people, which is counterintuitive, but, uh, she's a writer who like her, her writing is so specific to her and yet somehow is so specific to me as well. I was like, I know that feeling also. Uh, so I really love her work. Um, I, yeah, I really, I'm, 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 I've been enjoying uh, the films of Karen Kusama lately. I think she's a really underrated director. I recently watched Jennifer's Body for the first time, uh, which is an underrated movie from a time when it was marketed like garbage and, and didn't get the chance it deserved. Um, but she, let's check it out. That's it's cool. pretty fun. It's, it's, uh, Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried. It was from like, uh, 2010 or something. Um, it's, it was, yeah, it was one of those movies that was like marketed as a, like, you know, Megan Fox is a hot vampire. Whoa. But like, actually it's got all this interesting sort of feminist subtext that nobody cared about at the time. Um, but she also directed more specifically, my favorite Karen Kusama movie is um, she directed this movie called The Invitation. Uh, that is a, it is a horror movie, but it is not a horror movie in the sense of, um, it is the type of horror movie that I like, which is that it's not about 
getting stabbed in the neck, it is about an exceedingly long period of creeping dread. <laughs> that's uh, that's my kind of horror movie, and it's a very, very good film um, that you should check out. Um, cool. I'm curious. Um, I, I do. It's such a good question. I wish we could linger on it because there are so many good artists. Tegan, you're definitely up there for me as well as one of my favorite artists. Thanks. Um, you're my favorite artist. God. Thanks. Um, but the um, AWS creativity, if you have a favorite artist and you want to share it with us or like some of somebody that comes to mind, that'd be awesome. If not, no pressure. Um, but we're coming towards the end of our time. And, and uh, Tegan, I did share your two Instagram handles. Is oh, that yeah. is that the best way to contact you or is there anything else that? Yeah, you, know, you can check me out here. Um, yeah, Straub Handmade is my, um, that is where you can see my pottery work, my, my ceramics, my handmade stuff. Um, I... I will be honest and tell you that I am not the best at updating it, but there is some stuff up there and I will always update it if I'm going to be, you know, selling stuff at a market or, or what have you, or if you want to just creep on some of my older stuff. Uh, and yeah, my personal Instagram is at Tegan without Sarah. So if you want to request to follow me, I will, I will say hello. That's Thank where I mostly just post cat pictures. Um, <laughs> I love cat pictures. Um, in these last couple moments, uh, I just want to close. You don't have to do this with me. This is totally optional, but just love to close by like making your body into like a big star, or you can let your hands go down, palms facing away from you if that feels better on the shoulders. But just taking a moment to be big. Oh, <laughs> and so often we're asked to be little, and taking a moment just to be in the body and I'm, I'm just going to do three cleansing breaths and I'll, I'll do the first one. So you can decide if it's something you would like to do too. You don't need to, but just a big inhale and then maybe making some noise in the exhale. <sighs> if that sounds good, I'll just do it three more times. And, <sighs> and <sighs> last one. <sighs> Just taking a moment to be in the body. Just to know that no matter how you feel when you leave tonight, you took time to uh, spend some time on yourself. And that's really hard to do and really rare and beautiful. And it, in my opinion, you are enough. Just taking one more moment big. Ah! And then, oh, shaking that out, letting it go. Uh, Tegan, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you, everybody in the chat. You were all really awesome. Really appreciate you being here, sharing your time. Uh, yeah, thank you. Everybody. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back live. And we are we're every other week as mental health and creativity collide. And this, will, this podcast, if you want to listen to the audio again, will be on Anchor in the next couple days. And you can also watch the video here on Twitch again. Thanks, everybody. I hope you have a good night. Thank you again, Tegan. You're amazing. Good night. <laughs> night.